When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth Shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make Shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. Welcome to the Mini Break, your daily podcast for the biggest storylines, results, and controversies from the tennis world. Today is Monday, December 18th. Yes, it's currently the offseason, but on today's show, I want to discuss some live tennis all of us were able to enjoy over the past few days as the final 2023 edition of the Ultimate Tennis Showdown played out. Now, it's worth stating right off the bat, you're never going to read too deeply into any exhibition event, particularly one played in the month of December, particularly one as well that features as funky of a format as we get to see employed by UTS. That said, there were some notable players headlining this event in London. Players like Jack Draper, the ultimate winner of the event. Guys like Runa, Rublev, Rude, the three big R's, who of course we've discussed at length in our various off-season podcasts. Thus, it does feel worth visiting that event to start the week. Now, the remainder of the week is going to get back to doing the things we do here in the offseason, bringing in some of the smartest minds we have in tennis to discuss some of the biggest topics, both coming out of 2023 and heading into 2024. We're about ready to pivot into previewing next season. That really is going to be the primary focus of next week. This week, we're going to vast back and forth a bit. I think we're going to be playing stock up, stock down. We'll do WTA ATP editions of each of the shows. Focus on the players who both raise their profiles the most throughout the course of the season, raise their profiles the most, headed towards the future as well, as well as perhaps revisiting those players who perhaps for various reasons may have either already reached their peak or we have concern about them returning to levels of performance we have seen in the past. Now, again, that's the focus of this week, stock up, stock down. We've also had some fantastic weeks of podcasting already in the books, in my opinion. Of course, I'm a little bit biased as I was on all of the episodes, but if you missed anything from State of the Union week where we talked American men and women, next-gen men and women, if you missed anything from nerd week where we looked at those players who, for one reason or another, may confuse us the most coming out of 2023. Now is the time to go catch up on all of that content. Again, it's the offseason. You want to be primed, prepared, prepped. Those things all mean the same thing. In fact, prepped is a shorter form of prepared. Anyways, you want to feel all of those P adjectives heading into the 2024 season. Hopefully, this mini break podcast will have you feeling prepared for the start of a new year. If you're ready to listen to some other content, we've got you covered here as well. Our Great Shot podcast feed primarily focused on previewing the 2024 college tennis season, but of course, 
excuse me, over on our Cracked Interviews podcast feed. You can listen to my conversation with world number one doubles player Austin Krejcik with world number 51 men's singles player Yannick Hanfman, where we talk about the various stages of their 2023 campaigns, what they choose to focus on, how they choose to lay out their off-seasons, and of course their goals for 2024 respectively. Two fantastic conversations that, again, if you haven't checked out yet, you really should. Again, all of that content available wherever you listen to your podcast, so make sure you go subscribe to this show, The Great Shot Podcast, Cracked Interviews Podcast. As always, I'll ask here at the top, leave a review, leave a five-star rating. It helps us with the sponsors. It helps us Again, get a better gauge of how you listeners are feeling about our content as we all prepare for the start of a new season. So again, wherever you listen to your shows, make sure you're subscribed to not only this mini break podcast, but the Great Shot podcast feed, Cracked Interviews podcast feed, and probably our Crack Rackets YouTube channels. We've got a lot of great new content as we reinvigorate or renovate our Indie Studio, where I record our podcast. We're going to be doing a a lot more YouTube content moving forward, in case you're ever wondering, what do I look like as I'm doing these shows? Hopefully in 2024, you're going to be able to find out with more frequency. So again, like, rate, subscribe, review to all of our Crack Rackets content, wherever it is you do your listening of our shows. With that said, quick overview of Ultimate Tennis Showdown, the UTS event I want to focus on here today. For those of you unfamiliar with this exhibition, it's ran, uh, run, ran, whatever. English, not exactly working to start the week. We'll get better as we go through. But again, this event uh, put on, we'll go with that phrasing, by Patrick Mortelou, the former Serena Williams coach, now, of course, former dare I say, disgraced coach at this point, of Simona Halep, Hulk Aruna. He's worked with Stefano Tsitsipas. Many, many a players have filtered through the Mortelou Academy and his various locations over the years for training, for guidance, etc. In his venture to not only grow his brand, but his venture to, as he says, try to grow the sport, he started to, in the, I believe this was a byproduct of that COVID time when all of us were looking for events and ways to put on tennis, he started this Ultimate Tennis Showdown, which, again, it's smaller exhibition events that are meant to engage the crowd in ways that aren't possible in the traditional format of a standard tennis match, for instance, at UTS, they're playing music in between points, not just in between uh, change, uh, not just, excuse me, on extended changeovers or in between sets. They're playing, first of all, well, well I want to get to the format separately in a second, but on the background, on the billboards, if someone hits a winner, it was a Rublast. That's what would come up. Rublast in bright letters on the backboard after an Andre Rublev winner or, you know, what was it? It was Runa Boy Runa or something. When Runa would hit a winner, it was, what was it? It was the Jackhammer. Whenever Jack Draper, that was the one I liked most, the Jackhammer. Whenever Jack Draper uh, would rip a winner. And by the way, they all had their nicknames, right? Runa's the Viking, Casper Rude, the Iceman, Rublev, the very creative Rublo. I don't know what the Jackhammer was, but Jack Draper had a nickname as well. Benoit Pair, Sasha Bublik, Monfi, all the guys who participated. They get nicknames, and again, you have power-ups, you have all, all these different things, and what is a very fun exhibition format? Now, again, what does the format of the tennis itself look like? And this is why I gave you the disclaimer at the beginning. Maybe you don't want to read too deeply into these results, but... 
we are still using serves and returns to start every point. Now, it's not quite a traditional tiebreak format, but that's probably the best thing I can equate it to as they alternate serve every two points. You serve two, I serve two, you serve two, I serve two. Now, it doesn't go to a final score. You have four eight-minute quarters, and you play as many points as possible throughout the duration of that eight minutes. Now, to some of you who right there off the bat saying, well, wait, are these players going to stall if they have a big lead or a tight lead late to try and put off points? Well, you can't do that because there's a shot clock to every point. And again, you got to get that serve off before the shot clock goes off, or otherwise, I believe, much like in the standard tennis, you lose that first serve. It's a fault. Uh, again, you're alternating every two shots. You have these power-ups you can use, which I believe over the course of the weekend was you can say, hey, I'd like this point to be worth three points to my scoreboard. And again, every point is worth one to the scoreboard. You're just accumulating points over the course of these eight minutes. When the eight minutes runs out, let's say, as it was, for instance, it's 13-12 Andre Rublev. At that point, or 13-12 is a battle example, 13-10 Jack Draper because I believe that's what happened in the first quarter of their semifinal. Jack Draper leads 13-10. The clock runs out. The quarter does not end. The quarter continues until Jack Draper wins a final point. And then once he wins that final point, the quarter ends. Or if Andre Rublev's able to tie it up, as he was able to do in that first quarter, level things at 13 apiece. And by the way, it's not once you're down, you get to serve them out like it's ping pong. No, you stay in the order of flow. Let's say it's 13-10. Jack Draper has one serve left. He loses that point. Now the 11-13, 12-13 points are both going to be on Andre Rublev's serve. Now it's tied at 13-all. It's a deciding point at that point. And the winner of that point wins the quarter. Again, there are various tiebreakers in all of these matches. I was watching the play. a player won three quarters. Thus, they won the match without any sort of controversy. But it's very fun. It's very sudden death. You know, again, they try to interview players during the course of these matches. And I want to overview all of this. So I do want to say, because there are some aspects of it I really like. I like the let's play as fast as we can and move to the next point, move to the next point. I don't hate that there's music in between points. I don't mind it. Yeah, it gets a little weird when the music suddenly stops as soon as that first serve goes off. And now you got to be refocused on the point right away. Like that is a quick changeover. But I don't mind the employment of more music in dead periods in tennis because there are prolonged dead periods, not in UTS because that shot clock gets things rocking and rolling. You guys, if you're longtime listeners, also know I the one thing I dislike most, uh, not dislike, that's the wrong word. The one thing I wish there was more of within the sport of tennis is sudden death. I'm a fan of sudden death tiebreakers in fifth sets at majors. I'm a fan of no ad scoring in doubles and yes, in college singles as well, because the pressure of the no ad point, if you have ever experienced it in person or playing on the court, you just can't duplicate. It's a sudden death winner take all moment that in a win by two sport, yes, you have to win the final point to win the match. And by the way, this dare I say no ad format, the best equation, or win by one format still requires you to win the final point to win the match. But it introduces sudden death. It introduces winner take all, real nerves that otherwise, yeah, you might feel on a deuce point in a win by two format, and you'll still feel to some extent on an ad point. But I just, I love that winner take all effect. I love that win by one, that this one counts dare I say, sometimes more than the rest of the points, and you can feel that heightened sense of pressure watching that point play out 
perhaps more obviously than you would in a deuce format when there's a little bit more sloppiness in that win by two because let's say you're up an ad shot maybe you just want to take a big rip at a forehand knowing that all right well it's okay if I lose it I still go back to deuce anyways I like the four quarters because they have to win that final point to clinch the quarter. I think that's key in that four-quarter format to ensure there is no stalling, or even if there is stalling, that doesn't matter because you still have to play things out until you win the final point. I don't mind the power-ups. I think at one point, someone could only use first serves, through, uh, second serves throughout the course of a quarter, and like or like they only had one serve per point, and things like that, and you know, this point being worth three. Andre Rublev did that at the end of a quarter in Casper Ruud in group play. He steps up, rips a backhand up the line for a winner on a return. And right there, that put the quarter away. I don't hate those sorts of things either. It's fun. It's engaging. It's an exhibition. Again, why constrain yourself to the typical format of tennis when you have the opportunity to explore to try things new. And I will say one thing they tried to do new is interview these players in between quarters. I love the aspiration of it. I love the idea of, hey, these players have agreed. We're going to ask them questions. We're going to try and probe their minds and get some insight immediately into what we all just saw unfold while everything is fresh on the mind. It was a struggle, mostly because Everyone but Holger Runa was gasping for air. Or Andre Rublev lost his first quarter after leading big against Kasper Ruud, and they wanted to interview Andre Rublev, and he was just so frustrated and so furious with himself after seeing that big lead dissipate that he gave them nothing. Literally, I think his answer to the question was, I'm thinking of nothing. or no-. I think he said the word nothing like to four different questions. Good questions. Again, I love the intent. I love the aspiration. I think both Holger Runa, who understands this is an exhibition. I'm here to put on a show. Let me try and do that. Kasparud as well. He's always a great showman. And I mean that not in a disrespectful sense, but he just understands always what's being asked from him in a professional sense. And he's shown that media savvy before. He showed it again. Those two were fantastic interviews because they gave you some insight. And if they weren't going to give you insight, they at least gave you some sass. And it wasn't just filler or dead air or pauses or embarrassment because I don't know what to ask you next. They were the only two you could say that about. I love Jack Draper. I think he's a great personality. That was not the moment to talk to Jack Draper because he was so locked in, so engaged, so focused that he was gasping for air. He was trying to get some Gatorade in, get his gels in, just trying to refresh and refocus in those quarter breaks to go give another eight-minute sprint. And by the way, what I love most about this UTS thing, I know these are tangents, and we're going to get to the players in a second. But the idea of playing four quarters, eight-minute sprints, that's actually the best approximation of what I am doing with my friends now. And I don't like to say that the way I hit with my friends is the way everyone should hit. It's the best way to hit. But I do think there are a lot of people who will listen to this show who share this perspective, which is, again, those of you who took on tennis later in life, and by that I mean you didn't grow up playing it, you picked up the sport and you have embraced it, and we love you for embracing it. But if that is whom you are, you are still interested in match play. You are still interested in trying to push yourself to be the best match player and the best tennis player you can be. And all props to you for that push. 
I think people who grew up playing the sport, who've already done the tournament grind, who have plenty of match hours and understand what that hour to two and a half hour commitment looks like and what they are able to push themselves to at the highest level. I think a lot of us aren't chasing that match play point in, point out, but we still love playing tennis and we still love working out and we want to use tennis as that mechanism to get a fantastic sweat in. Well, when we do that, and I'm thinking of myself, my buddy Blake Ahadi, Max Rothman would be mad if I didn't mention him, but Blake Ahadi, Eric Fandel, Kyle Zhu, more than anyone else, the people I love hitting with most in this world, Kaushik Kandapi, I apologize I didn't say you, you belong on this list of people I love most hitting with in the world. Those humans, sorry I didn't mention you, Nick Ruskin, Brad Silverman, not on the list, but those four humans are all on the list. Again, I'm going to say they're not listening to the show, but Blake Ahadi, He's number one. I love hitting with Blake Ahadi. Maybe that is my single favorite activity in the world. And I love spending time with my family, my brothers. I love the show. I love calling the National Indoors. I still enjoy hitting with Blake Ahadi more than I enjoy doing any other activity in the world, period. Blake Ahadi, Eric Fandel, Kaushik Kandapi, Kyle Zhu. When we are hitting... This tangent turned into something else. Guys, it's December 18th, okay? Cut me some slack. I'm trying to entertain you all. When we are hitting, we are playing ground stroke games. And when we play ground stroke games, those games are typically up to 15. And again, it's drop and hit. No winners off the feed. We are all, I always say, if it's a binary system, one or a zero, we're all ones. We're going to play at least seven shots within the the framework of that rally. The point is when things get close and with Blake and I, the first game is always over 15, win by two. No, we don't play win by one because we're trying to get the sweat in. Um, The first game is always like a 1917 or a 2018 scoreline. The point is we'll play about four games. We'll, We'll play two games. And then if it's one all, you play a third game. If it's two one, and you've only played for about 50 minutes, you're playing a fourth game for sure. And after that fourth game, again, if it's tied two quarters apiece, you'll play a sudden death, or in our case, fifth ground stroke game up to 11. It's not a bad proximity, is what I'm saying. This four quarters of how I hit, and I know a lot of people hit with their friends. And again, this is an exhibition format. I'm just saying in that sense, the four quarters of tennis resonated with me, and I didn't hate seeing it in this display. Because by the way, if you're hitting with your friend and you lose the first three games, again, unless they were really blowish, like, you know what? It's just not my day. Let's go home. Let's grab some food, whatever it may be. Um, All that is to say, I really enjoyed this event. For a December, mid-December exhibition, I thought the level of tennis was pretty darn high as well. I thought the format of this event, the short eight-minute burst, this, again, it requires intense focus, but not prolonged focus. These players aren't going to be on court for two hours, two and a half hours. They don't have to worry about that. They're going to get some serious work in. And by the way, no warm-up. You turn it on right away when you step on court. But through all of that, I thought the level was really high. I really enjoyed watching the tennis, and I need to give a shout-out to the Ultimate Tennis Showdown social media team. Every match, every match, at least seven minutes of YouTube highlights, like enough to feel like you have a grasp on everything that happened. And look, some of you may be bored. You may want to go watch some new tennis. I certainly enjoyed getting to watch something I didn't know the result of uh, on the YouTube channel given I just haven't had the opportunity to do, you know, you're rewatching tennis usually throughout the course of December. Anyways, 
I think there were some serious things to learn, and I'm trying to keep this episode under 30 minutes because this is going to be the primer for the rest of the week. Again, check out the Great Shot podcast, Crack Interviews podcast if you need more content today. But one of the things I learned most from the course of the past few days of UTS is everything I feel about Jack Draper, uh, everything I felt, excuse me, about Jack Draper coming off of 2023, heading into 2024. And if you've been listening throughout the course of the month, you know, whenever we mention Draper very quickly, he is a sure thing to me. I know he's 61 in the world right now. I would be shocked if he has a healthy 2024, plays 35 weeks of tennis and doesn't end inside the top 25 of the rankings. I think Jack Draper is that good already at 21 years old, and he certainly flashed that throughout the course of an undefeated 5-0 stretch at UTS this past week. Now, again, it's four quarters, as many points as you can in eight minutes. We're alternating serves every two points. How much are you going to read into that result? Maybe not too much for you, but as exhibition events go, I like them to confirm my prior notions. I use them as supplemental data points to everything I see on the tour week in, week out. And, you know, to watch Draper not only beat Bublik, Monfi, and and Runa in group play, but then to watch him beat Kasparud pretty decisively, three quarters to none. And yeah, some of those quarters were close, but it felt like other than the second quarter, Draper was always the one leading and Casper Rude had to chase for him to get that win in the semifinal and then beat Holgaruna again in the final to, you know, get that 19-7 fourth quarter, dare I say, pull away, clinching win as well. Yeah, Draper was, oh, and he's called The Power. That's his nickname. Draper was the home player playing in London, the most comfortable, particularly given it's an offseason. These guys haven't been traveling as much of late, but man, Draper was excellent. And it started in the first group play match against Holgaruna, where he just had Holgaruna pushed so far behind the baseline. And Holgaruna played reactive tennis. It was Jack Draper dictating the terms of engagement. And I have mentioned this before when speaking about the 21-year-old, who obviously a lefty on the bigger side, 6'2", 6'3", 6'4", but a bigger lefty who's got a big first serve as a weapon, likes to move forward behind that first serve as a serve and volley ploy, certainly when he has his service games, he likes to play with plus one aggression. He's looking to move forward, shorten points. And because that is his profile as a server, you always, perhaps, not you always, who am I saying when I say you? It goes, it doesn't go unnoticed because I'm talking about notice it right now. Anyways, because that's how he profiles, that is the skill set that stands out above all else. Breaking down the nuances of Draper's game, though, you just see how diverse his skill set is, how immense his athleticism is, just the totality of things he can do on a tennis court. And man, I've said this before, I will say it again. Because the forehand is the pronounced weapon, players think they need to pick on the Jack Draper backhand wing. That is never the answer because Jack Draper is not going to give you a loose error off of that backhand wing. That's not true. Everyone gives loose errors, even Novak freaking Djokovic from time to time. 
But he will not consistently give you anything for free if you try to attack him through that backhand wing. And yeah, the backswing is a little bit shorter. Sometimes that ball's a little bit flatter off of his racket. But to watch him absorb, redirect, and utilize the topspin of Kasparud's forehand to just drive his backhand at will, his ability to find that short angle with his backhand to set up the inside-in forehand. And oh my God, does Jack Draper... Or I should say, did Jack Draper set up his inside-in forehand against everyone he faced well throughout the course of this past few days at UTS? He played top 25 tennis, maybe even better than that. It might have been top 20 tennis, like maybe even better than that as well. And he did it consistently over the course of five matches. And even if those five matches add up to two hours and 40 minutes of tennis total because of the eight-minute quarters, by the way, I'm pretty sure my math is exactly right there. Even if that's the case, fine. Like, I don't care. I saw it five day or five matches consistently. New, fresh to the court, he was able to reproduce that level every time he stepped onto it. And again, this is a guy who reached a career high of 38 to start the season, a guy who over his last two years win healthy, 38 and 26 in tour level events. And remember, he turns 22 years old in four days. Again, he only played 31 tour-level matches this year. Semifinals Adelaide to start the season. Round of 16 Indian Wells. Obviously gets injured around there. Makes a quarterfinal Leon on clay. Finals to end the year in Sofia before getting knocked out by Manorino. Coming off of injury, by the way, he also reached round of 16 at the U.S. Open. Beating Hercots Mo before getting knocked out by Andre Rublev. It's a guy who made a big run at a 1,000-level event last year in Canada as well. He's started to have some success. If you looked again last season, what, it was second round Wimbledon? No, it was the semifinal Eastbourne. I was like, there was the big grass court event as well. Still want to see it maybe a little bit more on the clay courts for him moving forward. But you look across levels in his career, 15 and 12 is Jack Draper on clay. He got to skip the challenger level events because he was having so much success on hard courts that he doesn't really have a big clay resume. Only 27 matches in his career, 15 and 12 at that level, that Lyon quarterfinal in May, his first on clay. So maybe he still has a few things to answer there, but man, the heaviness of his forehand, how well he moves in and out of corners for a guy his size, and he, like me... He's got a little hunchback syndrome. It feels like he's never standing his tallest on court. And maybe that's because he's always crouched and recovering and getting in and out of corners. But the serve, the forehand, foundationally, unequivocal weapons. And you look for him over the last two years. Last year, he held 84.8% of the time in his tour-level matches. This year, 86.3% of the time. And yes, there's not a big sample size of clay court matches thrown into that diet as well. But you look at the average hold percentage, even on hard courts of a top 50 player this year, uh, that average hold percentage, according to our dear friends at Tennis Abstract, uh, 83.1%. So even if you want to filter out, and I didn't for the Draper numbers, but even if you want to compare that to just hard court numbers amongst top 50 players this season, comparatively, he is a better server. And certainly you see that manifest itself with his eye, uh, with your eyes. He matched the physicality of Runa twice. And to beat Holger Runa, a top 10 player, I don't care if it's a ground stroke game or it's not ground stroke game, but if it's an eight minute alternate every two point format, he beat Runa in a tennis competition twice in one week. Also beats Rublev. Also beats Rude. 
it just confirms everything I've thought about Jack Draper. Again, a guy we've seen make a round of 16 at a major, a guy we've seen make a big run at a 1,000-level event, but a guy who we haven't seen put together a healthy or consecutive ATP season. We saw him put together an exceptional 2022 between challengers and ATP events overall. And by the way, for those of you that don't remember, Jack Draper, 2022 overall, 46-19, and 19, even with injuries this year, 34-15. and 15. He wins over two-thirds of his matches, which is how he was able to recover after after falling outside the top 100. What is the official Jack Draper height? I got to look that up because I want to say it's like 6'3", 6'4", but he could be, yeah, 6'4". Come on now. 6'4", lefty, who moves well. You know, again, I think pace through the forehand, that sounds like a crazy thing to say, but that's the ball that you can get him to hang short because he does have a more Western grip. It's a little wristier on that side. I just think he drives so well through the backhand, can play slice, can play drop shot as well. That is not the hole to attack. When you say, hey, play with pace through his forehand, and again, if you don't, if you're unsuccessful, Draper's going to get you on that wing, and it's not a debilitating weakness in any stretch of the imagination. Anyways, everything about Jack Draper screams top 25 player, I think top 10 in his future. Like, I would be very, very surprised. He's not a tier one prospect. But I would put him above Musetti, below Shelton. A Shelton uh, a Shelton Draper debate would be fascinating to me. Like, who is the higher pro- uh, who has the higher upside projected moving forward? Because Ben's serve might be a little bit bigger, but Jack Draper is better at the nuances, shot in, shot out of the game at least right now. <sighs> and yet they're both clay. You feel like you can mold to become top 10 players in the very near future. Jay, the point is Jack Draper's really, really good. And everything I saw at UTS, everything I saw, him making that final in Sofia to end the season, and again, getting a couple wins at the US Open as well. By the way, he wins the Bergamo Challenger the week before Sofia. So he won nine of his last 10 matches before playing Davis Cup to end the year. Now UTS as well, he wins these five, whatever you want to call them. He's playing outstanding ball. Again, Who's going to make their top 25 debut in 2024? Jack Draper's got to be number one on that list because he doesn't have a ton of points to defend to start the season. And I would be shocked if there's not a big result in there somewhere, maybe even again in indoor hard. Like, could he win Rotterdam? That's always the event I like to point to. Some scholars would argue maybe. Anyways, Jack Draper was my biggest winner of the week, been obviously winner of the event. But I also really liked what I saw from Holger Runa. And it kind of confirms what I saw from Runa down the home stretch of the season. And I actually broke up his 2023 into splits because I think it's important in perhaps more than anything else uh, – displays a clear cut. I just think it was a shoulder injury. I just think something body-wise was wrong for Holgaruna because 44 and 24 overall season, right? He finishes top 10, 65% win percentage. He started his year 37 and 13, in case you don't remember. 74% of his first 50 matches he won. Countless 1,000-level finals on clay, round of 16 Australian Open, pretty solid sunshine swing as well. He was good everywhere. He was pretty clearly right there with, honestly, with Sinner at the time. Is he the fourth or fifth best player? Like, it was a pretty clear-cut top five through the Wimbledon quarterfinal run, really, for Runa, where he was the fifth best player in the world at worst. And, you know, again, 37-13 and overall through Wimbledon. 
after that Wimbledon quarterfinal, and he talked about dealing with injuries during that stretch of time. He goes five and eight overall. From there until the last three weeks of the season where we started to see some resurgence, what was it, Basel, Paris, whatever those events were. I think it was Basel and Paris. Yeah, Basel semifinal, Paris quarterfinal, tour finals where he gets a win as well, goes six and four at those final events. So again, those are the three splits, 37 and 13, five and eight, six and four. First stretch of the year, and this includes Clay, he was holding 84.9% of the time. Last stretch of the year, indoor hard courts, he was holding 85.1% of the time. That middle stretch post-Wimbledon through the U.S. Open, he was holding 78.7% of the time. Again, a 7% drop-off, 6% drop-off. Watching him play this UTS, it just felt like the serve was back. It just felt like he was able to dictate, find his plus one forehand, move forward. He is a very good volleyer. And again, he has developed that reflex to look to move forward whenever the opportunity presents itself. But he was also kind of getting back to his roots at this event. I thought his defense more than anything else is what grinded down Andre Rublev in their semifinal. And look, I mean, Runa's on the run forehand, his ability to, again, keep Rublev honest whenever Rublev tried to pull that backhand down the line trigger. It just took that option as a way to be aggressive away from Andre Rublev. And look, there was a really weird incident at the end of their second quarter. I love saying that. Their second quarter of their semifinal where it was 11-all. There was a deciding point. Runa thought the quarter was over. He's like running back onto the court as Rublev serving. Runa ends up winning the point with a pretty damn solid backhand cross-court pass. It got a little weird between Runa and Rublev. No doubt that match you don't want to read too far into. But Holger looked good, man. He was hitting the forehand confidently. He was serving well. He was moving well, which maybe more than anything else I was concerned about because he just wasn't playing any defense. Everything was so forced in that, dare I say, fifth and sixth eighths or fifth through seventh eighths of the 2023 season, whatever you want to call that five and eight stretch of time. He looks back. He looks fit. He's hitting the backhand down the line extraordinarily well. He's engaging the crowd. He's just again, he had an answer for everything Andre Rublev threw at him, was not overwhelmed in forehand cross-court exchanges either. Runa's upside remains immense. Again, Runa is now a tier one prospect to where I would be more surprised than not if he does not capture at least one major title in his career. That's how high I think of his upside. I know others were a bit down on him given his end of season stretch. I was not. I saw everything I needed to through the Wimbledon run and this resurgence I've seen, Basel, Paris, tour finals, now even here at UTS, just seeing his level. It looked a lot like the the Runa we saw first six months of the season. And boy, is it a blessing to be 20 years old and have a month to have your body recover because that's all you need at that age to get it rock and rolling once again. And it certainly feels like that's where Holger Runa is. Now, on the final two hours of the big three, Runa, Rublev, Rude, if you're Andre Rublev, what, a three and two weekend saw him drop matches to both uh, Jack, uh, who did he lose his matches to? He lost his matches. I should know this answer. I apologize. Uh, he lost his matches. Good question, folks. To, I believe, certainly Jack Draper, uh, excuse me, to Holgaruna in the semifinals. He did not lose his match. That's what I, was, I thought he was undefeated in group play. Indeed, he was. He knocked out Casper Rude in their first match encounter in their group plays. Excuse me, leave all that stuttering in. 
it's an imperfect product. You guys can see me at my best, at my lowest as well. And my best, again, is when hitting with Blake Ahadi. Shout out to him. He knows it. Um, I wonder what he, where he would rank. I th- honestly, I'm pretty sure he would rank it in his top three favorite things to do. Anyways, Casper Ruud, I don't want to say he felt helpless against Andre Rublev in their group play match. But man, he was chipping the backhand a lot. And it just didn't make sense to me because... You can't let Andre Rublev have his feet set. You can't let Andre Rublev anticipate where you're going to be playing the ball. You have to be the aggressor to some extent. You have to mix up your patterns. You can't let him, again, get his feet set, whether it's hitting backhands or inside-out forehands from that ad corner. Certainly, if he has a middle third forehand, you're just in trouble because if his feet are set, he can unload that ball anywhere. And... Certainly, there were moments where Kasper Ruud attempted to adjust by trying to play some plus one forehands into deep corners, trying to push Andre Rublev back into defensive positions. But again, Andre Rublev dictated from start to finish in this match. And yes, it was a 3-1 showing where Rublev had, I think, an 11-7 like seven or something like that lead in the first quarter. Ruud ultimately takes it 14-12. Last three quarters, 19-8, 18-12, 18-9. Ain't no doubt about that. And it just confirms, like, again, Draper beating Andre Rublev. Uh, excuse me, Draper beating Andre Rublev. Again, I'm going to get these things right. Runa beating Andre Rublev the way he did in the semifinals tells me more about Runa's level returning than anything else. But I thought this was a pretty decent, like, again, all this is is, confirmation like I know who Andre Rublev is at this point and he's one of the 10 best players in the world now is he one of the five best players in the world probably not but there can only be five 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 top five players at any given moment for what it's worth in the rankings right now Andre Rublev is number five on the other side of the equation again you never want to read too much you never do into any exhibition event I'm not saying like, oh no, I am I am dissuaded by Casper Ruud or I'm down on Casper Ruud heading into 2024, but I think 2022 is the exception, not the rule to the upside we'll see for Casper Ruud in the rankings because serve forehand, his combination, his playbook, particularly on clay courts, ruthlessly effective against any opponent. On hard courts, man, that backhand is just sitting up on him, and he just was under attack against Rublev, under attack against Jack Draper so consistently in these hard court events and just, again, regaining his foot. Again, you got to have some serious weapons the way Rublev and Draper do to push Kasparud onto his back foot. And even then, again, the, the quarters were still pretty close and you never want to read too much of this. So you need real weapons to expose that Kasparud backhand wing. But if you have those real weapons, you can go after it. And certainly you know what Kasparud's going to want to do to make you uncomfortable I don't know. He just he never made Draper Rublev uncomfortable for any extended sort of stretch in the two matches. Dare I say that mattered most in this event, and it just makes you wonder. Like again, reached a career high of number two, made two Slam finals in 2022, made another Slam final in 2023. It's more than Zverev. It's more than Tsitsipas. It's more than just about everyone in his generation. How many more will he get to? I think that's a fascinating question. Um, 
you know, is his proper range in the rankings competing for those six through 10 spots more so than the one through five? I think that's a big question that we'll see answered in 2024. Certainly, again, he was playing a little bit casually. You could tell he was having fun. He was engaging the crowd. He was going hard. Don't get me wrong. But again, um, it wasn't the best. If Casper comes out and is just blazing the forehand or hitting the backhand down the line brilliantly, that would have been notable. Hit the backhand down the line. He played well. He played fine. I guess there's no new development on Casper. That's my update for you all. And by the way, no new development on an 0-3 Sasha Bublik. He is what he is. Uh, no develop- I, More than anything, the development on Gael Mofi is you hope that ankle injury isn't too serious. And from all reports that he has given subsequently to suffering it, it sounds like it's going to be a minor injury, nothing too serious heading into the new year. Good for Schwartzman to get a win over Benoit Paire, but like... If your standard of nice win is a win over Benoit Pair, Schwartzman's ball just doesn't quite have the depth that it once did. And look, I actually thought physically he was very like he was in the fight with Rude with Rublev. He really enjoyed their pace uh, to absorb and redirect. But it's again manufacturing that pace, finding easy opportunities for himself. Life has just become a little bit difficult for Diego Schwartzman against elite competition. Certainly, that was a theme we saw on play in uh, at play in 2023. Other than that, though, again, I really enjoyed UTS, and dare I say it, it has me asking: Were you watching or not? I'm curious. Is this one of those exhibition events that has gained any traction in the mind of you, the tennis fan? Obviously, you look this year; they have events in LA, Frankfurt, London. I imagine there are more on the horizon as well. Obviously, they've had some really fun players play throughout, not just Rude, Rublev, Runa, Draper in this one, but they've had Fritzes, Tiafos, Sheltons, and so many more. You know, what is what is the place for exhibition events in an already jam-packed calendar? It's a question we ask ourselves each and every season. Is there a place for UTS? In the month of December, sure. Beyond that, again, like given the funkiness of the format to ask players to buy in or fans to buy in in between like a French Open and Wimbledon stretch or in between, you know, what, February and the start of the Sunshine Swing, which is when I think the first three events were placed, it's finding your spots in the calendar. That's the most difficult part of the equation because I like the product. I think UTS does have something there. The question is, where does it go moving forward? I think that's an open question, one we will certainly see answered in 2024. With that said, though, that's your look at some live December tennis. Now, again, coming later this week, we're going to get back to recapping 2023, previewing 2024. It will more likely than not be stock up, stock down week here on the Mini Break Podcast, so be on the lookout for more episodes Tuesday, Wednesday. Wednesday, Thursday, and Friday. Of course, be on the lookout for more previews on our Great Shot podcast feed as well of our top 10 D1 men's and women's teams heading into the 2024 college tennis season. You can be on the lookout for more interviews with players like Austin Krejcik, Yana Kaufman as well over on the Cracked Interviews podcast feed. And as always, a shout out and thank you to our super producer, Daniel Westhoff, who makes all of our content possible and has a f- of an editing job to do day in, day out in his capacity here at C. 
CR, of course. Again, with all that said, I thank you to our dear friends at Tennis Point as well for their continued support. Remember, it's tennis-point.com. The promo code is CR15 for all of the latest and greatest products in the tennis world. With that said, for our fantastic super producer, Daniel Westoff, our friends at Tennis Point from all of us here at both Crack Rackets and the Tennis Channel Podcast Network, I'm your host, Alex Gruskin. We say that's the break, and we'll talk to you all tomorrow. Thanks, everyone. We'll be right back.